Ethan's going to be our, uh, our archaeologist today. But before he does this, I just wanted to ask a question. Like, turn around for a sec. Like, what happened to Ethan? Like, Ethan used to be small, and now Ethan is tall. You know, the Butels went away, Ethan grew eight inches. <clears throat> and I don't really get it. Like, like, why aren't I as tall as you? And why don't I have as much hair as you have? Why is this? Would you, would you just preach for a while and tell us that? Okay. Okay, well, if you'd find it, the, the, the archaeological fact that, or the artifact, that would be great. But you're so big, you're going to have to be careful that you don't knock our whole set down. Okay? It's, it's in there. Yeah, you'll have to crawl in. Here, why don't you move these shovels like we've been doing every week for the last 12 there you go. Perfect. You can do this. You, oh, he's found something. Ah, oh, what is it? It is chains. Well done, Ethan. Way to go. Come here. Okay, stand still. No, I'm not going to wrap you. Thank you very much, sir. What a great guy. Chains. When people used chains in the ancient world, uh, they used, I suppose, used them for different things for sure, but one of the things that they used them for, and I suppose this still happens today, is that they used them to shackle human beings. Um, you know, we know that about 50% of the ancient world around the time of Jesus, around 50% of the people in the world that, at that point were slaves. And I don't know if they were all shackled. I'm guessing they weren't. I think there was a difference between the kind of slavery, slavery that went on then and the kind of slavery that went on, say, in the southern part of the United States for a good period of time. Um, and yet, even as I'm saying that, if I was to say that to a slave in Rome in the year 25 AD, I doubt he would say, oh yeah, there's a huge difference. I feel way better about it. I'm guessing that he would probably say that this is a miserable situation to be in. But we sang this morning already about chains being unbound, broken, that we end up in a completely different place. And it's all because of Jesus who does that for us. This morning, we're going to look at some special ways that people have been set free by the Lord. We're looking, of course, at... In, at another neglected treasure. And in this case, it has to do with people that are bound in all kinds of ways, not just in something like slavery specifically, but it's just in all the ways that human lives are fettered. And there are a lot of them. And God wants so badly to see those lives set free. Um, side note here, I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, you probably have heard the term proof texting. No preacher wants to be accused of proof texting. Proof, text, proof texting is where you take passages from all over the scriptures and you kind of loosely gather them together, not really thinking about their context, and you do something with them sometimes that isn't appropriate at all because the context just doesn't fit the passage that they're using. It may look like I'm using some things out of proof texting or in a proof texting kind of way when I list scripture after scripture, but I think that all of these fit within the large context of what it is that God is wanting to do with human beings. 
what he's wanting to have happen in our world. And certainly regarding freedom and chains being broken, God is about that. And so all of these fit together so well. I want you to turn if you're in your Bibles, if you would, to this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's on page 143 in the Bibles that are under, underneath your seats. And this is just the first passage with which I'm going to kind of deluge you this morning, put you under a deluge. What, I guess I should explain that word. Someone may not know. What's a deluge? Somebody knows. What's a deluge? Michael, what's a deluge? A flood. Okay, I'm going to flood you with some verses this morning, all having to do with God is the one who sets people free and takes care especially of those who most badly need to be set free. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and I'm going to start with verse 1. I think it is. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean. He was a transient. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. They became slaves chained. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then... You and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you finish setting aside a tenth of your produce in the, year, in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, <coughs> excuse me, give it to the foreigner, give it to the fatherless, and give it to the widow so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. And this is a great passage about how this wandering Aramean, who ultimately, he and his people become slaves and then are brought out. And God does this wonderful act of freeing them. And because of that, they then say, we will now take care of those who don't have. And so we're going to take care of the Levite because they don't have a portion of land like so many others. We're going to take care of the foreigner. We're going to take care of the fatherless. We're going to take care of the widow. We're going to set aside some things to take care of those who have not because we were have-nots and God made us haves. And I'm so grateful that God has done that. But he gives us a responsibility as haves. 
that now we have the freedom and the blessing of being able to take care of others. I want you to just read these passages with me on the screen here. For the Lord your God is God of God, is Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt." Now, I don't know about you, I have to admit, there are times, there are times when my attitude about foreigners isn't great, and I am one. (laughs) It is so easy for me to think in terms of others coming, like to our country, to Canada, and sometimes I think to myself, wow, there are just so many, and they're coming, and they're changing things. It's not the same as it used to be. But then I think there were some of you who, when you saw me coming, thought the same thing. God, it says, wants us to love those who are foreigners. That's a calling from God for us to have a perspective that is His. Because ultimately, that's who we are. We're all, in some sense, foreigners. Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This sounds to me like the blessing of the work of your hands is somehow dependent upon the way in which you treat others. It sounds like God is ready to bless us when we bless others, and it could be that the blessing is taken away when we don't bless others. Interesting. Psalm 10, 14, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. What this says is that God spends time thinking about those who are troubled. He spends his time there. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. The one who dwells in holiness thinks this way. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Boy, is there ever a pattern developing here. Psalm 146, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You know, when I think about Jews in the New Testament, particularly the Pharisees and the way that they thought of others, it's incredible to me that they ever read their Old Testaments because this is everywhere. And then we look at what Jesus has to say. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And the point is, is that I'm bringing the kingdom, and when I bring the kingdom, it's going to look like this, that those who are disadvantaged are going to be lifted up in my kingdom. 
Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that last line has to do with the notion of jubilee. We've mentioned this before. As far as I can tell, the jubilee that was supposed to be happening every 50 years in the history of Israel actually never happened, as far as I can tell. I never see one instance in the Old Testament where the jubilee actually takes place. And it makes sense that it wouldn't. Because every 50 years, it means you have to give back all that land that you've taken from others and give it back to the original owners. Who's going to do that? And so those who are wealthy in a position of power simply didn't ever allow the jubilee to take place. At least that's my impression. And then this one. We know this one well. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And my response to all of that is very... Um, succinct. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. When you look at all the evidence and all the passages, all the things that are said about God revealing a desire in His heart through all the activity directed toward the poor and oppressed, it's incredible. Clearly, this was important to the Lord. In fact, I would say of monumental importance. Because it's not just one passage. It happens again and again and again. That God shows this side of His heart and His desires. And I have to tell you that one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to God that he cares about the widows and the orphans and the aliens and the foreigners and the poor and the hurting and the rejected is because I am one of those. That's who I am. And I, and I mean that literally. Like My mother died when I was nine years old. I was motherless. And I know the scriptures say that he's a father to the fatherless, but in some sense, he was a mother to the motherless for me. I became an orphan. Now, by the time I became literally an orphan with no parents at all, I was 19 years old and I'd already started dating Robin and I was well on my way to adulthood and all of that. But you know, God set this lonely person in a family. And I don't mean an earthly family, I mean a heavenly family. The Lord placed me in a special place. And He gave people to me who would love me and care for me and nurture me. And I just praise God constantly that He did that for me. And He did it for some of you. Because that's who He is a father to the fatherless, one who cares for orphans, one who takes care of those who are brokenhearted. This passage, 
Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you were blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, one of these orphans, one of these foreigners, one of these fatherless, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me, something, uh, gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Do you see how much responsibility there is on, on us to do something here in response to what God has done? They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And we sometimes don't do for Jesus when we don't do it for the least of these. And I'm just so grateful again that God gives us this chance this opportunity to do something where we end up ministering not just to those who are broken and hurting around us, but we minister, this text says, to Jesus. Here is a call, then, to God's people to minister to those who in a multitude of ways are less fortunate. Now, again, at at this point, preachers sometimes are flagged for doing something. You know, what we do is after we've read all those passages of Scripture, then we make everybody feel guilty about how horrible they are because we don't do this enough as we should. And not this morning. Instead, I want to give you a litany. You know what a litany is? It's like a list. Uh, Sometimes it's a negative list, but sometimes it's just a positive list. And in this case, it's all positive. Because there are some things that our church does for the hurting, of which I am so pleased. I am so glad to be a part of a church that does these things. And we could do more. But oh man, the Lord has blessed us with an opportunity to do some things. Like for example, our benevolence pantry. You know, our staff spends a good portion of our time actually answering the door. We hear the doorbell ring numerous times a day. Sometimes it's while we're eating lunch and Hope's always the one who jumps up and gets it. But we feed a lot of people and it's because of you. It's because you give money so that we can do that. It's because of Larry and Joanne who work so hard to make sure that our pantry's stocked. It's because we care about those who are hungry. And I'm so grateful that we have a chance to do that ministry. The clothing exchange exchange that takes place uh, maybe just once a year now, sometimes a couple of times a year, June Reed's responsible for that. We did one recently. You know, many, many people come and they get clothes, and I'm so grateful that they do. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we have a group from the Calgary Immigrant Women's Association who comes here and they spend time in our building. 
Um, I, I've told you before, I have looked into our library before, before and found uh, a Muslim with her mat praying on the floor of our library. And that's because we allow people to come in and use our building from all over the place, from all parts of the world, so that they can be influenced, hopefully, by our example and us touching them in some way, and they can come to know Jesus and His freedom. I'm grateful that in this way we serve the foreigners. Brown bags for Calgary's kids. Every Wednesday and Friday, or sorry, every Monday and Wednesday, I should say, Fred Hess takes food to a couple of different schools here. He goes and drives and delivers the food. On other days now, the, I'm going to talk about this other ministry in just a moment, but we have Chinese seniors who use our building on a regular basis, and they're now making lunches for us and taking food regularly to schools as well, using our kitchen so that they can uh, prepare that food and take it and deliver it to kids. And I, I'm just grateful. <laughs> they have a chance to participate in our ministry as foreigners who are here, not necessarily at all part of our church, but able to minister through us because the Lord wants them to. Um, recently, we had a, an opportunity to, to see um, good things happening with Discovering Choices, which is the school that Mark Lewis actually is uh, assistant principal. It's over here in the mall. And we take food to them, I think, four days a week now is what we're taking food to them. Um, but they called and, and said, hey, would it be possible for us to start using your building a little bit for some meetings? So they want to come and use the fireside room during the week on a Wednesday afternoon and maybe use the gym as well. And so here we have Mark Lewis, one of our members, who is the assistant principal at a school where we serve food four times a week. And then students from that school are now going to come over and start using our facility for some meetings here at the building. And if I was to ask Mark, as he shared with us last night at Life Group, these are students of significant need. These are students who really need people like us to care about them. And we are. We're ministering to them. And I'm so grateful for that. And I, if I asked Mark, I think Mark would say that the people over there are especially grateful that we are ministering to them in that way. And the staff have said things to Mark about our church and the way that we've ministered. And I'm just, it's just all wonderful. The Wednesday lunches with friends, uh, many of you contribute to that. You've been part of that. You come and make meals. You come and eat with those people. It's just such a, a blessing and a privilege that we have to meet with them on a regular basis. Every Wednesday, we have a meal. 15, 20 people come uh, that are not part of our church uh, that in many cases just need us, they need food, they come, and it's just wonderful to spend time with them. Zambian Mission Fund Canada is something that we've been supporting for a long time. This is the ministry that started in Victoria, uh, and it's the ministry that's responsible for Megan being part of our family. You may not know all these things, but right, right now uh, in our world, there are five schools in Zambia out in the middle of nowhere that we help fund so that hundreds of kids can go to those schools. They'll take a, a classroom that will hold 30 students. They'll fill it twice a day, twice a day, and, and teach those kids. And, and then the kids get out of school and they go back to their, their dirt, mud, stick hut and live. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's just incredible the opportunity that we have to change lives by doing that. And you contribute money specifically to that ministry and those children receive an education because of what you do and your dollars. This is the same place where several years ago, Bob and Terry went and uh, actually built uh, a school uh, with their own two hands. I've got, I was telling somebody this week, I've got a brick in my office that came from Zambia that was used specifically to 
just like the ones that are used in the building of the schools. Um, gifts for Wednesday, Wednesday lunch attendees, Discovering Choices Marlboro School. We're going to do this uh, at Christmas time this year. It's already been mentioned that there's a, a sign-up list out there. Uh, there are all kinds of opportunities for you to take uh, one of those little bags that's on the wall and to contribute something that's going to be wonderful for somebody when they receive your gift. We're also going to do Christmas in Marlboro this year. We've talked about that, and we're talking about giving uh, gifts to all the children who come to Crisp- Christmas in Marlboro. We have uh, ministry to immigrant peoples that go on constantly here. Um, in an email or a text that Hope and I were texting a little while ago, she was just talking about how, yeah, we take care of immigrant families, and if anybody is looking to do that, if you would like to be a person or if your family wants to take on the role of helping uh, integrate an immigrant family into our society, we have a chance to do this on a regular basis, and you can talk to Hope about how that could be a possibility for you. Uh, we've done that with several, probably with some sitting here or some that will be in the second service today who have been integrated into our world because of our ministry. And then I've mentioned already the Chinese seniors. Uh, every Tuesday, or sorry, every Thursday, a group of Chinese seniors, usually it's 50 or so come here, they call this their home. That's how they refer to it. Oh yeah, our, you know, our home at the Calvary Church of Christ. And they feel so welcomed and so blessed to be part of what we do. All of that to say that if there is anything among our neglected treasures that doesn't seem all that neglected among us, it's this. Like, I'm just so blessed. It's so wonderful to be part of a church that does these kinds of things. God is so good to give us the opportunity, and we need to exercise that opportunity. Let me read to you uh, an example here. Some of you were in class last week when Kevin put up the opportunity for people to take $10. They could come up, they could take $10 off the board uh, and use it to then go out and do something for someone else during the week. Here's what happened. Kevin, thank you for your adult Bible class and your recent challenge to all of us to take someone out for coffee to encourage them. A fellow member and I partnered up for this challenge. God had placed it on my heart to take a street person out for a meal. I've done many missional services, but this particular one has always terrified me. My partner has taken street people out for a meal before, so enthusiastically she volunteered or he volunteered to come with me and be my mentor in this endeavor. We set a date for Friday, prayed about it all week, and launched ourselves into the downtown and Kensington area yesterday afternoon. It was a cool day with rain and some snow in the air, and we thought this would be a perfect condition to find someone cold and in need of a warm meal. We walked and walked up and down the streets for an hour and couldn't find a soul in need. Still determined that God had someone waiting for us, we continued marching. Then on the corner of Memorial and 10th, we sighted an elderly man sitting on a step looking cold and hungry. My friend led the way by saying hello and inviting him to join us for a meal. At first, he was, uh, he was reluctant to accept the offer, seemingly concerned that he did not want to inconvenience us. We smiled at him and expressed our genuine interest in taking him for a meal and having a visit with him. He compromised by agreeing to a meal, but he would prefer to eat it on his step. We were delighted to meet him uh, where he was at, and set out to, uh, to get him a cheeseburger with mushrooms at Burger 320, as, as he had requested. While we were waiting for the burger to be completed, I could see out the window that it started to snow heavily, and I worried that our potential new friend might leave this, uh, his spot for the shelter. I was delighted when we, bolt, when we bolted to the door of the restaurant with the fresh burger on the run, or on the bun, to see this man standing in the doorway. He had come to see us. So we sat down together in the restaurant, introduced ourselves, shook hands, and settled into a visit. 
Over the half hour of conversation, we listened and learned a lot about our new friend. He had had a tragic life of tremendous loss, betrayal, and injustice, even the loss of his, com- loss of his comfort and companion, Teddy Bear. We just acknowledged how difficult life has been for him and enjoyed his company as he seemed to be enjoying ours. Then just as quickly as it had started, it ended, and he was ready to go. We walked with him down the street as he headed to the old school where he sleeps in the entranceway. In parting ways, we told him how great it was to meet him. He thanked us for the meal and expressed his love for us. I told him we loved him too. Then we waved goodbye, and he continued to walk down the street, his street. I felt a deep burden in my heart for this man and knowing his pain and complex needs that I could not touch today. We immediately prayed for him, asking God to be with him to meet all of his needs. The assurance that God loved and cared for this poor man brought me comfort. We let him go with God's love. Thank you for this opportunity to make a new friend and share God's love with a stranger whom we would never have met if you had not given us the challenge and your commitment of 10 bucks. I don't know how many of the rest of you have done anything with the $10 that you took, if you did. Somebody did something with it. And the beauty of our church is that whether somebody gives you $10 or not, there are wonderful things that go on in the name of Jesus for the benefit of other people all the time. And that is an answer to God's call for us to minister in His name in response to what He did for the foreigners and widows and the orphans, and the poor, and the broken, and He has ministered to us and blessed us. In response, we minister in His name. Praise the Lord that we do. Let's stand and sing. Jonathan. So Kelly started with a deluge and ended with a litany. You feel overwhelmed? Um, The story that got me the most in all of those, Kelly, was... The reminder that the Chinese seniors have started to participate in the brown bag ministry because what Jesus did wasn't say, hey, let me teach you a bunch of stuff and then give you a test. And when you pass the test, you can be my follower. He said, hey, come follow me and I'll show you what the kingdom looks like. And it looks like this. And along the way, they're following just <laughs> ah, deep, deepened. And that's what's happening by opening our doors. This is an amazing place that we, that God has put us in this community. And then that we share the building with so many people that not all churches do that. Um, And what happens is people see what the kingdom looks like and then they're following deepens. I'm going to kind of quote something from the end of uh, second Corinthians chapter one. It's from the original Greek. Paul says, God doesn't flake out. Actually, he doesn't say that in the Greek, but that's what he means. In Jesus, every single one of God's promises is a resounding yes. And our response is amen.